special Community Voice episode for our second season in that both the person that we have on today, Hunter Davis, who started our NC State chapter, and we have Kieran Shandy and Catherine Berzoskowski, I think that's how to pronounce your name, Catherine, joining me on the line today. Why don't you all kind of just introduce yourselves? Yeah. <laughs> My name is Catherine Brzezowski. You did actually a very good job with the last name for some people. I'm a junior, rising junior at the University of Maryland. I've been working with CYC Nationals for a few months now, studying marketing and journalism here. Yeah, that's a little bit about me. Hey, this is Karen Chandy. So I am the founder and CEO of Consult Your Community and I'm currently working as a management consultant at PwC and graduated from UC Berkeley. And I am Hunter Davis. I am a recent alum from North Carolina State University and helped start that chapter a couple of years back with some awesome and passionate folks. And now I am going into teaching through Teach for America, where I'll teach Math 1 in the Charlotte area. And as we'll learn today, he's also so much more. So Hunter, you know, I've known you for, I think, the better part of a, a year and a half. We're almost getting on, on two years now. And, and one of the things that struck me, and for those, for those who kind of aren't as familiar, which is probably the vast majority of the people listening, with the, you know, the CYC chapter startup process, basically that involves spending you know, six to, to eight weeks jumping on the line with, with myself um, or, or one of my teammates from the ops team and going through a, a somewhat rigorous, arduous, you know, hour and a half each time process of, of you know, what, are, what does it take to start a chapter, you know, very, very process oriented. And, and you know, we, we had Hunter and Tanner and, and Ben, you know, make a bunch of different presentations and, and they did a great job. But, but Hunter, I want to start almost from, from T equals zero a little bit here. And I remember in our, in our initial phone call when, you know, we were, we were kind of talking about what it would mean to start uh, a CYC chapter and you walked through your background, there were a number of things which I found extremely interesting about you and outside of our, our final conversation about, you know, who, <laughs> who the greatest basketball player was, which is kind of an odd okay. interview question, but, but I think you stuck with, uh, with Michael Jordan, which was good, even though he went, he was, he was a Tar Heel. So Hunter, why don't you start out with a little bit about, just for the listeners, a little bit about your background and, and your story kind of leading up to attending NC State and, and why, you know, you chose NC State. Absolutely, and, and thanks again for the warm introduction there, Thomas. So I uh, I was born and raised in Wake Forest, North Carolina. For those of you who confuse that with where the university is located, um, that is in Winston-Salem. Wake Forest is actually its own town. Uh, so just want to clarify that for anybody listening. But born and raised there and only child to two of the best parents in the world, um, kind of, you know, was spoiled along the way and did what, you know, a lot of single children do, play sports, get, you know, pretty much anything that you could dream of. Well, then when I was 16, uh, a big life event happened, and my dad was diagnosed with cancer, something that was pretty new to my immediate family. Of course, it had touched our extended family uh, relatively in depth, but it hit us hard, and it was just short, it was eight short months afterwards that he he passed away. And that, I think, put the biggest stamp on my life and helped guide me in a particular direction. I would say 
a direction of caring and service. And so I kind of came to a crossroads of where you can play, you know, the victim card. And, and that's not necessarily bad where you kind of make excuses for your circumstances. But I wanted to play the response card. It's more of what you can do with what you got. And what I had was still, you know, a great friend group, um, great extended family and the world's best mom. So I, I have it pretty well relative to a lot of other circumstances that some folks had. So I kind of took that passion and enthusiasm with me, graduated high school um, and went to NC State, kind of dragged along my first semester uh, just because I felt like I didn't fit in and uh, struggled finding the right friend group. But shortly thereafter, I kind of re-fired up the cylinders inside and brought it back to some of the things and values that my dad taught me about service, leadership, and helping others. And from there, got involved with a few organizations on campus, but wanted to dive deeper and had the opportunity to do so um, with the fruition of CYC at NC State. As far as, you know, that process, um, I think the national team deserves so much recognition for kind of the thoroughness and uh, detail that they expect from those who are looking to start a chapter because that's it. it's something that is so important. If, and if that in-depth analysis isn't there from the start with those who are looking to start a, start a chapter, I don't think it's going to turn into something that drives real community impact. So that's a little bit of my story, a little bit of where I come from and just kind of the, the tidbits of information that lead to uh, the startup CYC at NC State. And Hunter, I, I remember, so one of the sessions that we do, or, or one of the meetings that we do involves, again, my, myself or a member of, it, this is the most, I, I consider at least, and you know, I'll get your take, uh, fun of, of all our weeks. But basically, we have to anticipate you going to a small business owner, manager, you know, whoever's in at that point, and talking to them about their business. And we kind of, we, we put the team on the spot a little bit by, you know, I'll have my team or, or me kind of walk through a Google map and, and try to find a bunch of different businesses. And uh, Hunter, I, I remember, you know, jumping through and, and I think it was the Hangover Grill um, or, or something mm-hmm. uh, and, and going through that one. And, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if you guys had actually been customers of it at the time, but I think you guys actually ended up working with them throughout your first semester. So I'd love to hear this for a little bit of feedback on my end. What what did you think about kind of that session? And you guys ended up doing a really great job, you know, I think with a, a total lack of preparation because we didn't really, you know, give you the names ahead of time. What did you guys think of that of that session? I thought the session was brilliant and and simply because you can think that you're ready to pitch yourself to a potential client, but if this is your first time, I don't think you can really ever be ready without that that real preparation, that real live feedback going on, and really just role playing, right? And and that's exactly what we did. And I, I found it especially helpful that you didn't tell us the businesses that we were pitching ahead of time. And the reason is it, it really helped us think on our feet a little bit because you know, while you can role play and try to, let's say, predict some of the questions that may be asked of you, you never know what these businesses may ask. 
And so that kind of made us think critically on the spot to come to answers that, you know, were genuinely true. And that's, that's what I thought of that process there. Specifically with Hangover Grill, you know, now that you mentioned it, I'll have to go a little further. So, you know, we, we pitched it to you as you were the owner of Hangover Grill, Thomas. And um, I hope we nailed it. We actually redid that pitch to the real owner of Hangover Grill just a few weeks later. And they ended up being our very first client of CYC at NC State and worked with them for a semester and had a great time and also enjoyed some, some really, really great burgers and fries on the side. Hey, Hunter. So I have a follow-up question to that. So I know a lot of students, whether or not they're starting a new chapter, you know, a lot of the students have to go through the process of going door-to-door and finding a new business who could be a potential client. So when you were doing these pitches, what was a common misconception that you felt small businesses had towards you and your fellow students? And um, how did you overcome some of those misconceptions? I think the largest misconception, I'll tackle the, the big one first, is this, that we're students and we don't necessarily know what we're talking about. You know, let's say, put yourself in the shoes of a small business owner on a college campus. You know, you know your business inside and out. And if somebody else is coming in the door and saying, hey, we would like to help you out in a, in a way, you know, it can kind of come off as demeaning to the business owner. And along with being demeaning is, you know, do you even trust these students that, you know, how, how are they going to be able to help me, right? What, what do they know about the restaurant industry or the apparel industry that I don't know? I'm an expert in this area. Um, and so I think jumping over that obstacle was by far the hardest. As far as how we did it, it wasn't to tell them that we knew everything about the industry because we don't. Um, and never will know everything about the industry. We told them straight up that, hey, we know you know your business way more than we do. But what we can provide is a different perspective, hard work, and maybe a connection with your customer base that you may not have. Because, you know, we are the students, and oftentimes our clients are serving the student population. Um, And so it's almost like a whole new perspective that adds a lot of value. In addition to those kind of qualitative factors, say the biggest quantitative factor that we would sell ourselves on is the rigor of getting into the organization and rigor for good purposes. So, you know, we we would talk about our interview process and our acceptance rates and how we can guarantee that we have some of the best students at our university that are going to work really, really hard for you. Um, And that's, that's kind of the process that we took to overcome those obstacles. Yeah, that's amazing. It's definitely, it takes a lot of trust for a small business owner to allow students to, you know, to have their time to, to kind of talk through some of their challenges and, and, you know, put their faith in you to kind of solve some problems, however small or large they are. So one question that I have as follow-up is, you know, how did you go about building trust? I know you mentioned, you know, you say you go in and you don't say you know everything, but what's what are some tangible, concrete steps that any student can do when they're working in an engagement setting uh, to build trust initially with their clients? Number one, first and foremost, get to know your client for who they are and where they come from. And this is more specific on the personal side. So get to know him or her and what they're about and why they do what they do. If you show them genuine interest in them, 
and their passions, I think that is just going to reap all of the rewards in the world um, there alone. The second thing is just to show them the progress that you're making with their business. You know, be very clear, be very transparent on some of the work that you're conducting, why you're conducting it, and the proposed or predicted outcomes that are going to come from doing that. And I think tying those two together, you know, the interpersonal, you know, wooing your client, if you will, getting to know them tied with, you know, working hard and showing them real business outcomes, I think that is a way that you can really gain some trust in the work that CYC does. Yeah. And so Hunter, I've asked you in the past, and I think anyone listening, you know, for the past few minutes or or since the beginning probably recognizes, you know, why it's kind of a slam dunk. I've asked you when someone is interested in starting a chapter to to speak to them about the experience and and let them know, you know, what they're getting into. And and part of the reason I, I do that slyly is because Hunter is totally implacable and his optimism will always be there. And it really shows people, you know, wow, you know, a year and a half, two years in, this guy's is still still this happy. So something must have gone right. And I, I'd like a little bit of kind of insight into how those conversations would go. So, so when you kind of meet someone who's looking to start a CYC chapter, I, and, you know, they already know a little bit about us, they've probably spoken to me, looked at our website, you know, what do you say to them kind of about what that means and, and what that was like and what they should be thinking and most importantly, and one of the things that really resonated with me working with, you know, the three of you a while back was kind of how do you set up your team? Who should your teammates be? What qualities should you look for in a team? Yeah, that's that's an excellent question, Thomas. And any time that I have that conversation with somebody that's looking to start a chapter, I talk about the vision where they could see their chapter in a few years. Because when you talk about the vision and talk about the impact that can be made. You get a a little twinkle in your eye. Man, I really want to make this happen. What do I need to do to make this happen? I think that's an excellent jumping off point. So, you know, for for those students listening who might be on the cusp of founding a CYC chapter on their campus, what do you think in your character makes a self-starter like you? You know, somebody who gets up in the morning and says, I'm fully committed to put the work in to create something today. Maybe that's the part of yourself that puts the twinkle in your eye when you talk about your passion for CYC. I'd like you to talk about what in your character makes you who you are. Yeah, thanks for the question there, Catherine. I think a few of the character traits that are imperative to starting a CYC chapter, really just kicking off anything, is number one, passion. You need to be passionate about what you're undertaking. If you're not passionate, you're never going to see it through. And so even if, even if it's a little bit of passion, you absolutely have to have it because if you have no passion, it's not going to last and you're not going to be in it for the right reason. So number one is passion. Number two is the tie to the work that you're doing now to the outcome that you foresee in the future. So you set a vision for yourself and what you want to achieve and then you tie the work that you do every single day to the outcome and why you're doing the work that you're doing now. That helps keep things pretty tangible, even when you're in the weeds and, you know, looking up at this goal or vision that you set, while that can be quite daunting, I think it relates back to why you're doing what you're doing. A third 
for CYC specifically, um, not as much in all other areas, but for CYC is commitment to service. And we do this to empower small businesses of America, right? And, you know, we are doing this work 100% for free. And while some folks, you know, may only have their eyes set on dollar signs and cents, they're not going to last right? You have to be committed service and tying it to the better outcomes for these people so their lives can in turn be, be better off. And, you know, maybe so they can pour into their children and now their children have the opportunity to go to college. It just loops around and around. So those are the three biggest things that come to mind right now, Catherine, uh, that really get me going and keep me on track. I think that was beautifully said. Using those those character traits, I think, it's no doubt that you've done some pretty amazing things during your time at NC State, and you're continuing that legacy after college at Teacher America. But I think for students, it would be important to hear if there was ever a time that you felt your goals were daunting. Um, maybe you can walk me through how that, how that sense of challenge, you know, seeing a goal, changed from something that could be scary to tackle to something that you grew from because you know, we know how important those are in making a good student a great student. Yeah, that's an awesome question. And I, I'm actually, I'm going to answer that question with a goal that I have now and one that's extremely daunting at the moment. And I'm going to talk about how I'm going to overcome it. So it's future looking. So as you alluded to, I have joined Teach for America and my first day in the classroom is tomorrow. So tomorrow I will have three classes full of students that are hopefully ready to learn. Um, and one of the goals that I have set out for myself is 75% proficiency on the Math 1 EOC. Now, in a lot of schools, 75% doesn't sound great. Um, and in a lot of schools, it's not great. But in a school where the average is under a quarter percent, you know, 25%, 75% is pretty good. But then when you look at all of their eighth grade test scores and you see an abundance of students, you know, who, you know, maybe scoring first percentile. Sometimes it doesn't look feasible or nearly impossible, but connecting it to that goal, which is giving these students the opportunity to go to college and achieve whatever dreams that they have, that's what makes that 75% that much bigger on the board. That's what makes my eyes stay open at night and think about, why I do the work that I do. And that's why that 75% is going to happen. So it's hard right now thinking about how it's going to happen, but I know hard work, dedication, and, you know, really diving into these students and their singular stories, that's how we're going to get there. So that's, that's a little bit about a goal that I'm facing right now, just to make it recent and extremely top of mind. So if you all can't tell, that gets me that gets me jazzed up, and I'm super super <laughs> excited, super 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 excited to take that on. Hey, Hunter, it's Karen here. I have a follow up question um, to your comment about you know lying awake at night thinking about the the problems or, or things that you're you know the challenging problems that you want to solve and what you're passionate about. I think a lot of students when they're graduating they're weighing passion versus pragmatism and um, who better to ask than you because you're kind of an all-star, you know, you've, you've um, graduated the top of your class, you're a valedictorian, you're, you had your pick of consulting um, 
offers. I, I know you interned at, at two consulting companies over the past couple of years. So what made you choose Teach for America and uh, pursuing something that was more social good oriented over maybe something that was purely professional services oriented? Yeah, that's that's a really great question, Kieran. Um, and I'm glad you asked. And I'll start by saying I think it was really kicked off with some of the work that our team did in CYC. This time, you know, the, the consulting real business outcome-based approach to helping them um, and these business owners, you know, really, you know, helping them become more well-off in their lives. I looked at it as, you know, consulting is a really, really lucrative career field, and you do have the opportunity to make a, a ton of impact, both on the social impact level and on you know, real businesses looking to solve their problems. But for me, I was thinking, you know, I am 21 years old. Um, if that career field um, comes about later in my life, that can happen. But there are three specific things that led me to join Teach for America and put other opportunities on the back burner. The first was my passion for education itself. I, I did okay in high school. I wasn't extremely in it to learn. I just wanted to get by. Uh, but when I got to university, something really went off in my head and things started to tick. And I started to make the relationship between what's going on in the classroom and what, what the world looks like outside. And so I want to be there to try to help some of my students in the classroom make that connection now so they're not debating whether or not education's for them down the road. The second is, unfortunately, here in Charlotte, there's no upward mobility. You can plug a student's name into a computer system, and with a great deal of precision, their life outcomes can be estimated. So if they're, you know, if they're born into a low-income, impoverished family, it's 70-plus you know, percent chance that they're going to stay there for the rest of their life and so on and so forth for their generation. And I don't like the sound of that, and I want to help change that. So that's another, that's another thing. The third is tying everything back to CYC and some of the other impactful nonprofit um, engagements I committed to in college. It, it is extremely fulfilling to, to help others with things that they may not have. And if you have the opportunity to give and really see it through, for me, the question is, why not? And so tying it all back together, I answered that question, why not, with, I am. So let's go ahead and let's take the journey. Um, and so those are the three big reasons why I decided on Teach for America um, at this particular point in time. Hunter, one of the things uh, that, that has always struck me when you know we've we've kind of jumped on the line and, and either talked about what was going on with your chapter or even from from our our first conversation is and you know I, I think I speak uh Kieran and I obviously are no longer in college but but we were relatively recently. Um Catherine is obviously still in college but you very much had a plan and a vision and you know not to say that, because I don't want to put words in your mouth, that there, there weren't moments where you felt unsure or underestimated your ability, but I always felt as though you had a focus and I think a drive that, you know, frankly, I, I don't think, you know, I've, I've come across and, and you come across very often. 
at all, especially in college students. I certainly was not was not that way, uh, you know, as a junior when we had first met. What kind of fuels that? And, and how would you recommend that college students, and obviously there's a lot going on, especially for for kind of this generation, whether it be political, socioeconomic, or, or some of the other things that you've talked to, how would you recommend that that focus gets found? How, how does one find their focus? And you obviously had it. I, I have it. I, I don't know if, if that was a process that you were aware of when you came upon that, but how does one go about doing that? Really great question, and I'm sorry for beating a dead horse, but for me, it all comes back to passion and finding what you're passionate about. And so the way you can get there is talk to people. Go out and network on your campus. There are an abundance of students who know so much information, and if you talk to all of them, which I know is certainly not feasible, but talk to a bunch of students, you're going to get an array of opinions, and when you find that conversation point that really gets you going, where you could see yourself staying engaged for two, three, you know, your entire time at university, that's a good place to start. And so ask for more information. Go out and seek some of the leaders at the school, some of the leaders in the community, and see, you know, what needs there are and how your passion can fulfill those needs. Um, so again, it, it just all goes back to passion. And I apologize, everybody, for beating a dead horse. Um, but that, that is how I found my focus. Speaking to things that I really care about, things that are meaningful to me. And so a little bit of my story on the passion, specifically for CYC, is, you know, I really, really, really enjoy the idea of solving challenging problems on one side. And I really, really, really enjoy the idea of helping others. And so, no, you know, what a better way, you know, there's no better way than CYC to do that because it ties those two together perfectly, right? And, and that's why it makes sense for me. You know, for some other folks, it may not be the answer, and that's totally okay. But it's all about finding, finding your why, finding your passion, tying that together, and going out and seeking the opportunity. And then from there, make it happen, whatever it takes. And Hunter, uh, that was, I, I think, a, a great answer. I want to ask you about more of kind of a, a lifestyle choice, not a how-to uh, Hunter book by, by any means, but if there were you know, a, a book that you've come across that you found was, was really helpful to you, obviously you, you don't get to the academic achievement you, you have, uh, I assume, with, without books and, and choosing kind of the educator's path, um, there must have been one that, that you came across. If there were a book that, you know, you would tell everyone to listen to, um, what, or, or listen to, I'm talking from my perspective, I do a lot of audio booking, obviously, or, or read, what would that book be? And, and if there are multiple, feel free to name them. And then, and then kind of shortly, you know, why, why would, why would someone read that? Yeah, sure. Um, there are two that come to mind. The first, how to Win Friends and Influence People. I know it does come off as slightly manipulative. However, I think it's a, a great book to teach you how to work, to work with people and how to work with people effectively. You know, pretty much every career field you're going to get into. I don't want to say all, but close to all career fields you'd get into, you're going to be working with people. So it's extremely important to work on those skills to make sure that you are effective at working with people. That's how people move up to become 
CEO. That's why a lot of CEOs have less technical skills than you know their subordinates. And so I think figuring out how to work effectively with people is, is absolutely critical. So that's my that's my first one, and that's an absolute must. The second absolute must: Outliers uh, by oh I can't remember his name, and I don't know why I'm forgetting it right now. But Outliers. This book for me just made me ask the question why a lot. And so really causes you to think a little deeper and make some of the connections that you may have not seen in life. And so, you know, one of the examples in the books is talking about why a lot of pro hockey players are born in the first three months of the year, right? And at the surface, it's like, okay, cool. It's just a coincidence, but there are some more technical reasons behind it. So I think the book causes you to ask the question why, and asking the question why is, in my opinion, a great way to go through life uh, to be effective. So those are those are my top two at the moment. That's awesome. Did you do a Dale Carnegie, what's it called, one of those sessions, or did you just read the book? I, I did not do a session. I just read the book. I was looking through, you know, an abundance of free audio books by just going through you know, one one resource after another after another to play up all of my free audiobooks. And that was high on the recommended read list and it categorized under self help and you know, I, I certainly need a lot of self help, so I thought I'd try to help myself out a little bit and read <laughs> It's it's helped me so far. So yeah, yeah. that's that's why why I read it. It's a great read. So before you were filled with all this stage advice and experience what advice would you give to yourself as a freshman at NC State? Hmm, that's an excellent question. Number one, talk to people. I did not talk to many people my first semester, and without talking to people, you can't gain an abundance of new knowledge. So talking to people is, is my first advice, and that can come through you know, uh, an, array, uh, an array of ways. The second, I'd say go out and have some fun. Find what's fun for you, whether it's intramural sports, whether it's joining a new organization, whether it's, you know, spending time in the library playing games with some friends. It, it doesn't matter, but not too much fun. you got to stay focused on your school, too. <laughs> the third thing is ask why you're here. I got into asking myself why and what's my purpose later in my college career, and I started to make some connections a little later than I would say most at my school in some capacity. I was just able to catch up just because I tend to work hard. But asking why and really figuring out my purpose early on, I think, um, that limited my ability to do some things on campus that, you know, maybe in retrospect I would have, you know, tried to do back then. So those are my three pieces of advice. I know not as concrete as they could be, but those would have made me tick a little better my first year on campus. Hey, Hunter. So I want to loop back to one of your um, initial responses about finding your focus. I, I think Thomas had asked this question earlier and, and you responded with, you know, find something that you're passionate about and kind of go after it. And we've, for the past couple of questions, um, we've asked, you know, how have you gone about doing that? And, you know, it's been a combination of talking to people, you know, talked about some of your favorite books, networking with professors, students, what have you. But, you know, there's a lot of people that I think, especially putting myself in my own shoes from a couple of years back, 
who might have been saying, hey, you know what, it's great if you have a passion, but what happens if you don't know what you're passionate about or you're passionate about too many things? And did you ever kind of go through this process, you know, mentally when you were a student? And if so, how did you help align what you were doing or or your path to that one singular or smaller subset of passions? Uh, The answer is yes, I certainly went through that. And my process, my specific process slash story um, with finding this passion, it went from, you know, kind of not really having much of a passion slash purpose early on to getting intrigued and interesting and trying to tackle a lot of different things to then finding what I was really passionate about and focusing in. And so the first step of finding my passion, it came to, you know, I got some advice from this guy named Brian, who was a student network group mentor in the Pool College of Management. He suggested to really define, define my why, like, why are you here? And why do you do what you do? And what are you good at? And what are you interested in? And what do you want to be good at? So I came to a, a long list and kind of sat over that for, you know, weeks to months and really put things in my head of like, oh, these are all really cool. I'd love to tackle a lot of different things and get involved in a lot of different areas. Just do so much. And, you know, college, we had 700 clubs and 35,000 people. It's like, oh, my gosh, what do I do now? Now I've figured out I'm really passionate about a lot of things. I like working with people. I want to go join 100 clubs. I want to change the world, right? And I'm like, well, you know, settle down a little bit there, Hunter. Uh, you gotta, you got to zone in and focus. So literally took things to a whiteboard. I'm a big believer in whiteboards. Side note, I set up 64 square feet of whiteboard space in my room at home um, just to pitch for using whiteboards. Uh, but I, I used a whiteboard to first write down everything I'm passionate about and then prioritize um, how or prioritize what I was most passionate about simply by ranking them. And by that, I realized that, you know what, I'm passionate about helping younger students, which I was involved in one organization that did that. I'm passionate about consulting. So keep on the lookout for an opportunity there, although there wasn't one yet. Did get in the pre-CYC brainstorming before I realized it exists. And so had plans in that area until I heard about CYC. So was looking into that and then also the relationship with cancer and you know, losing my father to cancer. So that was another big point that I was passionate about. So to sum up, my three points of passion, cancer, consulting, and helping younger students on campus led to my most involved areas extracurricularly, if that's even a word. It all came down to just ranking them. Ranking them on a whiteboard, that's my advice to anyone out there that's got a lot of stuff that they want to do. Yeah, I've, I have I would actually uh, completely agree with that. I, I don't know where I first this, but I've always found it to be extremely helpful looking kind of on, on my week ahead. And, and I don't use, you know, my phone to do this or, or some sort of kind of electronic. I, I tend to try to write it and just kind of write every single day, you know, kind of the, the big major priorities, the little priorities that you kind of have to get done there. So I'm glad, I'm glad there's another neurotic out there. I, I don't I don't have the big whiteboard though. It's just a kind of a, a tiny little planner. So one of the things I wanted to ask you, Hunter, and whatever way you, you take it, I think is fine. But, you know, you've spoken a lot about 
education and and you brought up and and, and consulting you you brought up Malcolm Gladwell and you know one of the things that I always get from Gladwell either through podcasts or through his books is you know there's there's a moment when reading or listening when you recognize you know your mind has just changed or, or something just happened to you and and I don't know if it's synapses reforming or what it is, but I, I think it's one of the coolest experiences out there, and I, I think we don't do it enough. So I, I really like like the fact that you you know you're always asking the why question because fundamentally that's probably going to change your mind often throughout your life. And and it, it seems like Brian, um, although we don't have his last name, seems like an invaluable resource, and every NC State student should run to him as as soon as possible. One thing I wanted to I wanted to ask along those lines is if you could change people's minds about one thing and in your community, you know, Charlotte area or, or more broadly, you know, what would that, what would that thing be that you'd want to change people's minds about? That's probably the, the toughest question I've ever heard. It kind of gets me excited just thinking about it. I don't know if this fits into the question well, but I'm going to take it this way anyways. I would make people more empathetic or make them think more about empathy. Um, and the reason is because you have never walked a day in another person's shoes. You may, you may think that you've walked very similarly or you may have spent a great deal of time with them, but if you really dig deep, everybody is so different. So, so, so different. And I think on the surface, you know, we as humans tend to, you know, make things seem as if they're one when they're really not. And so with empathy, I think comes just understanding that you're different, really seeking to understand other folks' stories. And I think with that comes a great deal of value, whether it's going to start a business together because you now really understand your partner or whether it's just becoming really good friends. I think empathy is such a powerful tool and should be thought about and applied more often in our world. Yeah, Hunter, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I think advice that I've gotten either, I think, is part of, you know, the consulting training that you receive when you, you're first onboarded is when you're interviewing clients or anyone, really, and they say something and you're trying to empathize with them, don't say, I understand, because the first knee-jerk response sometimes is, wait, no, you don't. Like, I, you, didn't, <laughs> yeah. you weren't in my situation, right? So, that, so it's sometimes better just rephrase or, um, you know, ask if this is what they're feeling uh, rather than just saying you understand. So I completely agree with that. And definitely a, a core consulting skill that you kind of had to learn to be a good consultant or just a, a good person in general. One of my closing questions for you was, what is the legacy that you want to leave behind at your university? So, you know, whether it's the, the work that you do with Kent Kasem or with CYC or what have you, have you thought a little bit about that while you were pursuing a lot of leadership activities? And um, what was that legacy that you kind of wanted to leave behind? I think it comes back to wanting to be known as the person that did whatever it took to, to drive the mission and vision forward. And, and it, to me, it all, it all comes back to that point. Just because if I'm a younger member in an organization, I have this guy named Hunter who is, quote unquote, leading us 
toward this particular goal, I would want to think that Hunter is doing whatever he can to help us get there. And he's going to fight for it with all his life. So I think that's the legacy I want to leave behind or, you know, wanted to have left behind. And in addition to that is I want to be known as somebody who thought, thought ahead of just that point in time, rather than it being, let's go all out for these two years, focusing on today. You know, I want to be known as the guy, the leader who, you know, committed our organization to the benefit of the future, to the benefit of CUIC students in 15, 20 years, to the benefit of CUIC clients in 20, 30 years. I want to be known as the person that did everything I can today so that tomorrow is that much better. That is an awesome answer, Hunter. Thank you. And with that, Hunter, I think, and, and as I mentioned earlier in our first conversation, when you, Jordan, and I were, were running through, you know, greatest basketball player of all time, which again, for, for those of you looking to start a chapter, it was not a consequential answer at all in determining whether whether there was an ability to start the chapter. It, it was more we had already come to the conclusion that, you know, Hunter was the right fit and just wanted to, you know, ask him about sports. But to use another kind of sports metaphor here, I think, Hunter, one of the things that always will strike me about you and, and most of the things that you do. And as you say, kind of whatever it takes, but you're never going to leave anything on the field, no matter what it is. And I think that's, that's a really powerful message for, you know, anyone listening. And that's kind of something you can take away from, from your example. So Hunter, thanks for jumping on the line with us as always, you know, it's a pleasure and, you know, just looking forward to seeing all the things you're able to do. And one day I want to be able to see those whiteboards. Thanks so much, Thomas. I appreciate it. Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll send you all a picture of what's up there right now. Got some, got some <laughs> good stuff for you. All right. Great. Bye, Hunter. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you soon.